0: Live from the Lincoln Douglas Building in downtown Quincy, the only local show taking a principled stand on the issues of the day. This is how it happens. It's the natural process of things. The view of the entrenched is predictable, but it's also erroneous. With Sean Secrets. We have an addiction in this country, not only to government welfare and government handouts, but more fundamentally... ...to other people's money. And Quaid. Again, you're dancing with government. This is the Morning Meeting. You cannot continue to advocate for status quo when status quo has run the ship aground. On Talk Radio 930, WTAD. It's Friday, and we're alone, you and I. Quaid is off looking for a... uh, A virus that will counteract the Zika virus. So he is uh, deep in the Amazonian woods looking for an undiscovered cure to the Zika virus as uh, he is away from the show today uh, doing, doing really the tough work that nobody has gotten done before now. That's what he's always good for. Coming up this morning on the show, Craig Robinson, the Iowa Republican joins us. We'll talk about Monday night's impending debate. What has Hillary been doing to prep? There has been a long piece written on Politico, six pages, talking about Hillary's prep team, why they're keeping it secretive. If I can jump into the world of sports for a reference, this reminds me of the heyday of the Big East and John Thompson at, uh, georgetown with hoya paranoia you weren't allowed to even look in the windows at practice you know for fear that you might discover a new way to block out while going for a defensive rebound that they were going to break out against syracuse that weekend we'll figure out if this is in fact going to work for hillary what does a win look like for each candidate that's coming up with craig robinson the iowa republican and one man is on a roll there's a professor who has predicted the last 30 years of presidential outcomes correctly, not based on polls, it's based on a series of 13 questions that he asks, and he's made his prediction for the 2016 election. We'll get to that with Craig and see if he thinks that there will be another notch on this professor's uh, headboard, so to speak, or if this is the year this This unpredictable, unstable cycle of politics. If this is the year that you truly have to throw everything that's modeled on any sort of political history out the window because of the cycle that we're in right now, the the emotional state that the country is in right now, the mental state the country is in right now, will this model hold up or will we be looking at that defeat? Now, it's not 30 correct. It's just for the last 30 years. So he's gotten like eight. I'm going to tell you this. It's possible to flip a coin and get heads eight times in a row. So I'm reading this with a little bit of a grain of salt as we look forward to it. Now this morning, though, it is my honor to welcome back to the program our U.S. Representative, Darren LaHood. Darren's been very busy. He's in on legislation that's being uh, voted on this morning. This is the non-payment to Iraq issue. And we'll get an opportunity to ask him about his plans for Monday. I think Darren's with us now. Darren, good morning. Welcome back to the hey, program. Sean,
1: great to be with you and uh, your listeners this morning. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, in we've been in D.C. this week and uh, voting on a bill um H.R. 5931, and I wish actually we didn't have to vote on this bill, but essentially this stops the Obama administration from uh, ever giving cash to Iran. If you remember, uh, Sean, um, in the midst of the global war on terror, which we're in, you wouldn't think it would make common sense for the U.S. to be sending untraceable pallets of cash uh, on an airplane to the state sponsor of terrorism, which is Iran, but That's unfortunately exactly what we did about four months ago, this administration. And so um, we we are passing a law uh, that basically says that um, this administration or any administration in the future is prohibited from giving any cash payments to Iran, regardless of the rationale or reasoning behind it. And it also puts in there that uh, it demands transparency uh, with any future settlements with Iran. If you remember, Sean... Uh, we found out about this cash payment that went to Iran through the Wall Street Journal. Uh, the Obama administration uh, did not reveal this. There was no transparency. There was no openness with this. And, and really what this is is a ransom payment for hostages that were released and should have been released. Uh, and many people may not understand this, but what the Obama administration did is uh, violated America's longstanding policy of uh, not exchanging cash for release of prisoners But that's what happened here. So uh, this bill, uh, the name of it is Prohibiting Cash Payments to Iran Act. Um, And uh, we're going to get it passed and over to the Senate and hopefully the president will sign
0: Yeah, I've been very critical of this administration's action, even thinking so much that they've endangered Americans who are really at large abroad by this ransom payoff. What was suspicious to me at the time, Darren LaHood, my guest this morning on the morning meeting, Uh, was the fact that the cash payment was made, that it was made in a number of different currencies, almost as if Iran was very aware that we can track U.S. currency. And I don't know how it actually was relayed to you on the inside in D.C., but from afar, this just smelled terrible. Once the report came out, how the government handled it, I realized that there was a legitimate situation back in the 70s. Money was seized, and at some point that would have to be repaid. Okay, even if the optics are bad, Darren, this is a situation where it was so unusual, the methodology that was used, that it raised a lot of questions. Is is that what sort of got this movement going in D.C.? Or is there something even more uh, depth-wise to this that, that we haven't heard about?
1: Well, I, I think every use, everything you just said is correct. I mean, the way I found out about it is reading it in the Wall Street Journal. And, and that's absolutely ridiculous. And it, it leads to people's continued... Uh, you know, criticism, skepticism, uh, having no confidence in this particular administration when it comes to foreign policy. Remember, Sean, what this administration and John Kerry tried to tell us when they uh, wanted us to vote on the Iran-U.S. nuclear treaty. Uh, That was last summer. They said, oh, well, you know, we've negotiated this with them. This is a regime that is one of the only state sponsors of terrorism, but they have never abided by any rules uh, anything that's been put in place to ask them to be compliant, whether that's the UN, whether that's the United States, whether that's Western Europe, or any other entity, this fits in exactly with that narrative that you know they're now giving them cash uh, in in a in a very dubious way um, and and doing it. And then remember this: um, after this uh, treaty or this, it's not a treaty. After this agreement was signed and passed through Congress, you know. Iran continues to test its ballistic missile program, which has destabilized the region. It's a gross violator of human rights. It continues to antagonize Israel, our, our only democracy and, and and real friend in the Middle East. And you look at what it's doing in Syria. They're a a supporter of what Russia's doing there. They've propped up the Assad regime there. And, and to think now that we're giving them—it's now up to $1.7 billion in cash— Um, it's, for a lot of reasons, is is absolutely ridiculous and is why people are absolutely cynical um, of John Kerry. And I don't know how you trust him moving forward when he tells you uh, something as it relates to Iran.
0: Well, and this administration has not been a friend to Israel, who's been our biggest ally in that region for a long time. Darren LaHood, my guest this morning on the morning meeting. Darren, was there any talk that this legislation prohibiting cash payments to Iran Should that be broadened to include all known state sponsors of terrorism or did it have to be this narrow in order to get this done?
1: You know, I think obviously um, uh, the focus is on this because it related to to a ransom payment. It violated, you know, our our longstanding policy. And as you referenced early on, Sean, I think there's a, you know, um, there's the feeling out there that this does encourage. Iran or other terrorist uh, actors out there, other countries, why wouldn't they engage in this activity if they know they're going to get cash? Now, I hope that doesn't happen, but, you know, because this was such a a big issue that just came up, I think tailoring it just to Iran uh, was, was the best way to go forward right now. However. I think moving forward, um, hopefully the Senate passes this overwhelmingly. It goes to the president. If he vetoes it, I think we got a real shot of overriding him. But I think it sets the precedent moving forward that we will be able to do this with North Korea, with Yemen, uh, Somalia, whatever country we want to move forward with, uh, and, and engage, uh, um, you know, engage in that type of legislation because I think it's going to be needed moving forward. And it sets the precedent with whatever administration comes next that you can't engage in this type of activity.
0: Representative Darren LaHood, my guest this morning on the morning meeting. Darren, was this as surreal to you as it was to me, the fact that we live in an era where we needed Congress to actually write a law that would prevent state leaders from shipping cash to a known sponsor of terrorism? This just, I, I wanted to pull my hair out when when this, what happened in two, when it, it looked like we were going to have to see if someone would write legislation To prevent this from happening again
1: yeah I I think the thought is Sean you would never think that your State Department or your government would be engaged in this and 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 then not tell the American people about the cash payments I never thought I would see this day and I've only been here a short time but you know you there's a number of adjectives you can use reckless foolish uh, appeasing a, a state sponsor of terrorism you know, I, I, yeah, it, it's it's sad that we have to pass legislation to rein in our own government from doing this. But clearly, we have an obligation as one branch of government, the legislative branch, uh, you know, to, to when we see something that's wrong, to rein in the executive branch. Frankly, we haven't done that enough uh, with this particular administration. But it's another example of how this administration continues uh, to try to arbitrarily do things without Uh, Congressional oversight uh, and to write its own rules um, and and engage in what I think are adversarial actions that hurt America.
0: Darren LaHood, my guest this morning on the morning meeting. Uh, Darren, you brought up the word veto a a few minutes ago. There is a bill that is about to be shipped to the president's desk, from what I understand, that would allow citizens, U.S. citizens, to sue Saudi Arabia over 9-11. The president has been outspoken against this. I think this sets a little bit of a a dangerous precedent, Uh, so I'm I'm kind of against it myself, though not for the same reasons as the president. It's also been likely said, he has said that he will veto it, and Washington uh, speculators are saying this could be the first bill that gets overruled during the Obama administration. What have you heard? What have you been talking about around this very controversial topic?
1: Well, uh, so this bill allowing... um you know, the the victims of 9-11, um, you know, uh, and that tragedy to sue Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. In mean, this past, the U.S. Senate, I think, 98 to 1. Mm-hmm. It passed overwhelmingly in the House of Representatives. Um, I, I do think if the president decides to veto this and, and there's not a some type of negotiation worked out, I think it will be overridden. I, I think it's, it's hard. Uh, you know, countries are sued all the time. Iran has been sued in the past. North Korea has been sued. Other countries have been sued. Um, And I have not heard a justifiable reason why, uh, you know, uh, it shouldn't apply to Saudi Arabia like it applies to to other countries. Um, And so I do think this this if he does veto it, I think there's a good likelihood it'll get overturned.
0: Darren LaHood with us this morning here on the morning meeting. Uh, Darren, we're both kind of science junkies are are you looking forward to nasa's announcement on monday concerning the europa moon with jupiter people have already been speculating what they're going to be talking about they've they've said look there are no aliens you know let's just kind of get over that right now but uh, i'm wondering if you're looking forward to that
1: well, I'm looking forward to it. I'm not sure what's more exciting, the first presidential debate or this announcement, Sean. <laughs> but uh, for, for, for science buffs, it may be this, right, instead of the, the most watched presidential debate. But but clearly, serving on the science committee, um, you know, I told somebody the other day, I've never felt more intellectually inferior uh, than serving on the science committee over the last year. I mean, we have tremendous people in NASA uh, that work in the space industry and in the private sector that are that are engaged uh... in in our exploratory efforts when it comes to space and there's a lot of good work going on so i'm i'm looking forward uh, with anticipation uh with the
0: announcement on monday we shouldn't use government for personal gain but you're on the committee so it's it's not bending the rules if you want a like like a press pass or a front row seat for this right
1: <laughs> that's exactly right we have oversight over that so we, we're uh, we're obligated to make sure our tax dollars are being spent wisely
0: Darren LaHood, my guest this morning on The Morning Meeting. Darren, I know today's very busy for you. Thank you for carving out 10 minutes with us here on The Morning Meeting. Look forward to talking to you again soon.
1: Great to be with you, Sean, and your listeners, and have a great weekend.
0: Darren LaHood, our U.S. representative, with us this morning on The Morning Meeting. Coming up, we'll talk with the Iowa Republican on The Morning Meeting. Giving conservatives a voice in the tri-states. I mean, this stuff moves people. It's The Morning Meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. WTAD it's the morning meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD Sean Secre is with you Quade Continues his work deep in the Amazon to find a cure for Zika virus. Hopefully, all is going well for him as he embarks on that track over the weekend. We'll do something even more dangerous than that. We will talk with the Iowa Republican the week after a disappointing Iowa loss. Craig had texted me over the weekend, last weekend, and said, I'm going to have to cancel my segment on the show for Friday. So I. Was able to cajole him into appearing on the show today, mostly because of the debate coming up on Monday night. Had we not had that on the docket, I probably would have given him a week to lick his wounds. But you got to be ready to play when the big game comes up. And this is certainly going to be part one of the big game heading into the November election. So will this debate play out as a meaningful tool for either of the candidates. it's one thing we'll talk about. David uh, David Heiler is the gentleman's name. He wrote a piece for RealClearPolitics.com. I mentioned it yesterday if you had a chance to look at it. History says that the polls after the entire debate season is done will actually look strikingly similar to the polls that we have right now heading into that debate season. Craig is the campaign manager in a former life Uh, had experience with that firsthand. We'll figure out if that is, in fact, uh, an experience that he's had. And how do you prep for this situation? It's going to be vastly different for each candidate because of their strengths and weaknesses and because of their unique makeup that they bring to this. Trump is a shoot from the hip. Let's just go with my gut reaction. Try and stay true to a few core principles. Some would say he hasn't been able to do that. Hillary Clinton is notoriously standoffish, gets excessively shrill when she feels threatened or that she's picking up momentum. So she's probably going to feel one of those two at some point on Monday night. We'll see if that works against her. Trump also has the added sort of wild card factor of debating a female in this situation, which when there's two uh, men on stage, historically, you would look and say, which one was more aggressive, which one came off a little bit more alpha, which, which one sort of owned the stage. Well, if Trump tries to do that, he'll be pigeonholed as bullying a woman. So the rules of engagement are actually so much different in this debate for Trump than they have been, that it's going to be very difficult to sort of pregame scorecard what's going to look good for him on Monday night, what's going to work, what's going to attract undecided voters, what may sway some squishy in the middle voters who aren't sure how they're going to get this done. Hillary's going to be trying to do the same thing? Or will she? Will she just be trying to shore up votes that have been labeled as in the Hillary camp. We talked about this yesterday, breaking down the Electoral College map. Many believe that she already has 260 in the bank. She doesn't have very much further to go to get that Electoral College nomination. So you may have a situation where two candidates actually have different agendas depending on how their campaign sees what's going on right now. I think Trump's campaign knows that he has to go out and win the game. And it's often advantageous to be in that situation because you stay aggressive. The Hillary camp—do do they think they can just run out the clock? Do they think they don't have to do anything but not lose the game? You ever been a fan of a team that's switched into "don't lose the game" mode and then watch them lose it in heartbreaking fashion? This is something that I would think I would be worried about if I was backing Hillary in this campaign. Isn't that she can't win, but that her campaign and those around her? Decide to sort of downshift into don't lose mode rather than stay aggressive and go for the win. So there's a lot of different factors that are going to play out on Monday night. You're also at Hofstra, which was the the comeback debate for Obama when he had had a poor debate against Mitt Romney. He came back, gave a what was labeled by history a, a, a great a great opening line and, and closed strong. So he also has some. Uh, mythology, I guess, going at this site, and with the president coming out and saying, look, Hillary's the choice. Obviously, he's going to stay intra-party on this. That wasn't a surprise to anybody, but if Hillary wants to continue the topic of, you know, four more years, then she's got a stage to do it on that has some political history relevance to the president that she would be seceding uh, in her own party. So a lot of things going on on Monday night when this debate goes down be very interesting to watch it and interesting to see what the reaction is from each camp from those who are still identifying as undecided. And then to realize well, we're going to play this out a couple of more times and we're going to have what probably is going to be a very lackluster vice presidential debate thrown in there as well. I I don't know. I think. I think that one might go on the small screen in the den, producer Josh, and I'm, I'm I'm just hoping there's a good game on that night. I can put the vice presidential debate on the small screen and hopefully watch a good playoff game or something on the uh, on the big screen while that's going on. So plenty of things to get into uh, with Craig Robinson coming up this morning on the morning meeting. A new look, and did I just get the text I wanted to get? All right, we can now confidently tell you that the work that is being done uh, behind the scenes for Monday has come to fruition. Quincy Mayor Kyle Moore will join me on the show coming up on Monday. So that's going to be great. Uh, Thanks to the mayor for carving out time in his schedule and uh, coming to join us on the show Monday. So, Quincy Mayor Kyle Moore will be my guest in addition to the Gateway Pundit, Jim Hoff, coming up Monday right here on the morning meeting. A new study from the Region Foundation, Reason Foundation, looked at the condition of infrastructure across the country. This has been. One of the issues that I repeatedly bang the drum on, one of the few responsibilities that government is actually tasked with is supporting a proper infrastructure for our society. And it's the thing that nobody likes to spend money on because you don't see it. It's not sexy. You want to know what's sexy? When you flush your toilet and it doesn't come back up. All right, when the system works... That's great. One of the things that we use on a daily basis as we are so automobile dependent in this country are the highway systems. And so the reason foundations look at the cost-effectiveness, repair, disrepair, war-torn abandonments in some cases of uh, highways in the nation saw that Illinois ranked 29th in the nation in overall highway performance and cost-effectiveness. Woe unto the 21 states that rank below Illinois. Have you driven anywhere in, oh my gosh, there are 21 states that ranked worse than Illinois. Mm -hmm. Illinois 16th in fatality rate, ninth, top 10 in most deficient bridges. Not a category you want to be ranked in. Uh, And tied for first in uh, rural interstate pavement condition. That's right. That's uh, that's that's not good. That's not good. So we we we've got some work to do in Illinois. A lot of that's going to be federal dollars. If the momentum uh, can be pulled together to get this done, uh, Illinois ranking 39th in total disbursements per mile and thirty seventh in administrative disbursements per mile. So okay, that's fine. We're apparently other states are even worse at saving money on these things uh, than Illinois. Uh, we're looking for. Uh, s- congestion and so forth, Uh, Illinois, according to the study, actually does a reasonable middle-of-the-pack job uh, when it comes to some of this. Now, you have to take that with a grain of salt. Illinois is actually operating the 12th largest uh, highway per miles grouping of any state. So Illinois has the 12th most highway miles in the country to actually take care of. And it would seem as frustrated as we get as drivers, it would seem they're actually doing a middle-of-the-pack to slightly back-of-the-middle-of-the-pack based job overall. But the one that sticks out, and I've said it on the show before, you don't want a Minnesota. You don't want a bridge collapse. And Illinois, number one, or top ten, I should say. Top ten, wrong stat. Top ten in most deficient bridges in the state. So this is something that has to be fixed, something that – if we continue the policies going forward that are in place, is going to be nearly impossible to fix because so much of the state budget is being taken up by interest payments, so much is being taken up by late payment charges, so much is being taken up by retirement costs in the state of Illinois. This is one of the things that you have to fundamentally realter your system in order to do these things without an enormous crushing burden on taxpayers that, let's face it, the bridge to Missouri isn't exactly Checkpoint Charlie in the Cold War. I can put all my stuff in my car and head over like that. And all of a sudden, I'm no longer part of the tax base in Illinois. I'm no longer paying in. And you you lose another another revenue source if you're the state because you're non-competitive. Non-competitive. Too many units of government, too much mismanaged government, too much mismanaged spending. And when you see it actually come to a head, top ten in the country in most deplorable bridge states, it may sound like a little thing, but it's something that is a telltale sign that finances and planning are being fundamentally and have been fundamentally mismanaged for too long when you can't do the infrastructure things that you're actually charged with upkeeping, and we get caught up in doing so many other things along the way. Overreach by government overspending, lack of a controlled plan. These things all weaken a government, a state, a society, and when they ride out to their fruition, you see Minnesota. You see hundreds of people on a bridge that collapses because infrastructure was mismanaged by those who were charged to take care of that. Please, we hope we don't get to that point in Illinois and nothing that catastrophic happens. But when you go to the ballot box this fall, think about that. Think about where we are, why we're here, what's been fundamentally mismanaged, and what change it's going to take in order to get that turned around. All right, coming up this morning on The Morning Meeting, Craig Robinson, the Iowa Republican, we'll talk to him next on The Morning Meeting. Where we go, others will follow. That's who we are. Even if it's not the best idea. The Morning Meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. This is Dennis Miller, and you're listening to The Morning Meeting. Here on Talk Radio
2: 930 WTAD.
0: So I really thought about... Leading this segment just on troll level 1,000, but, you know, I like Craig so much, I'd never give him a hard time on the show, so I decided to pull back a bit. It's the morning meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. Sean Secrease joined by Craig Robinson, the Iowa Republican. Craig, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Uh, it's just Guy. Quaid is away. Oh, it's just you. I'm yeah, sorry. was yeah, Quaid's away in the depths of the Amazon looking for a cure to Zika virus, so it's just oh. you and I. Uh, Today, here on the morning meeting, it's a fizzy beverage Friday. Go ahead, crack them open, and uh, we'll have some fun with the Iowa Republican. So, Monday night, primetime, first debate between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. This is is so interesting to me, Craig, because contextually, each team may be uh, trying to achieve a different end. I'm wondering if the Hillary Clinton camp may misdiagnose this with all of the electoral college maps that have been out that have said, oh, she's already got this just about sewn up, she's just a hair from winning it, if they, to use a football term, shift into the prevent defense, may give Trump the opening he wants because he knows he has to go out and still win this thing.
2: Well, I I, I kind of, I I understand what you're seeing. I I kind of view it a little bit differently. I see that... um, I see Hillary Clinton as a candidate who looks an awfully a lot like all these, you know, 16 Republican candidates that Trump defeated in the Republican primary Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, they, they almost get cocky and arrogant and they continue to lob bombs at him and call him unelectable, uh, call him, you know, all sorts of names or calling other people names. And I think, we're going to see a similar result and um, I think they have their eye off the ball. I think their messaging is completely off. And you look at a state like Iowa where Quinnipiac shows Trump with a seven point lead and a lead in North Carolina. And all of a sudden, I mean, even Nate Silver, who who gave Trump only 3% chance at winning the general election, has now had to bump that up to at least 43%. And quite frankly, You know, he'll have to revise that number up again because all these poll numbers are coming around. And I think it's because Hillary Clinton, they're distracted by Trump. They're not running an issue-oriented campaign. They're simply just attacking and mocking him, and it's not working.
0: So if you're Clinton, how do you prepare for this debate? Trump is going to go through his usual prep, which is to sharpen up his hip so that he can shoot more accurately from it. She's the <laughs> one who's, whose campaign has gone into, I described it as the old, under John Thompson, uh, Hoya paranoia mode, where they won't let anyone in to see what the practice is. Uh, they're blacking out all the windows and, and glass and doors so that this can be kept on the super secret down low. Will all that prep actually do anything for her, or is she over preparing for something that... She ought to know by now, which is her position on well, the topics that will come up and, and how to react to Trump.
2: Yeah, I don't think she's over preparing, to be quite honest with you. Um, but I do think that, um, you know, you, yesterday, uh, just listening to the news, driving around town, was you, you had these Clinton press people already criticizing the debate moderators, claiming that they're going to dumb it down for, for, for Trump, and that's not fair. Um, so they're already out there pre-spinning this thing. And, and the thing is, is, I actually think that, um, you know, look, Hillary is expected to do well because she's been in, you know, Washington, D.C., in public housing for decades, right? And uh, she knows the ins and outs of all this stuff. She's been a secretary of state. Trump's been none of this. He's not had one iota uh, of the experience that she has. And so a lot is expected of her. But I think it's wrong to think that Trump is just simply going to walk in here and shoot from the hip. His debate prep person, the person who plays Hillary Clinton in his debate prep sessions, is Laura Ingram, And you couldn't find a more intelligent person and someone that I think really forces Trump to have to respect her uh, and is super smart. You can't find a better person to play that role. So I'm actually excited to see how Trump does. I think he'll be much better. Uh, than anyone expects and I think that there's there's something about you know whether it be an athlete or a politician when they can when they get a taste of victory when they when they can feel it that it's going to happen they kind of rise above I think that's what we're seeing out of Trump now I think he can taste that look this isn't some pipe drink uh, or, or some fun thing he could actually be president of the United States very conceivable and uh, I'm, I'm really anxious to see this debate on Monday.
0: Greg Robinson, the Iowa Republican, with us this morning on the morning meeting. Craig, usually when we've seen presidential debates in the past, we have looked for uh, an alpha dog, so to speak, somebody who can show steadfastness, confidence, a sort of take over the stage by their persona. This time, because it's going to be Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, if Trump goes for that mode, He's going to be accused of bullying the woman. Uh, he has a, a a little bit different of a landscape for where he's going to try and pull this off. Yes,
2: not sure. I mean, again, I think people view Hillary Clinton differently. This isn't this isn't some you know damsel in distress, um, you know, or even uh, all that likable uh, individual. And so I think that. The fact of all this experience and that she's a former Secretary of State and, and he's not, I think really kind of levels this playing field a little bit. And, and I don't think that you're going to see him lob the insults. But what we saw in these Republican debates, and it's been a while since we watched one, was, you know, Trump can do an awful lot with his nonverbal uh, communication. Or he'll nod, he'll smirk, he'll make some gagging face. We might see some of that and will that disrupt hillary and will it even disrupt her if it's not there you know i mean if you prepare for one thing and you get another it, it becomes difficult i went into a, a, a tv interview this week i'll prepare they think we're going to talk about this stuff all we talked about was russia i wasn't ready for russia now i can talk about it but i was like well holy and then the person i was on with Totally was prepped for for a Russian conversation, and so you know you're you're kind of out of sorts at first, and then you got to find your footing and, and continue on. So I think there's I don't think Hillary Clinton is ever going to be a real sympathetic figure uh, in American politics.
0: As a smart man, who I'm sure is a fan of smart comedy, what happened to you? Was what we've all learned in the past. No one expects the Spanish Inquisition. So you got kind of strung out in that situation. So we're all very excited for the debate on Monday night. David Byler wrote a piece for Real Clear Politics yesterday that was a historical look at polling data. He said that you can prove that polling data after debate season, which he termed as the 24 hours ahead of and the 24 hours after the three presidential debates and the vice presidential debate, the polling numbers before that historically look very similar to the polling numbers after that, which gives rise to the question, how much impact do these actually have?
2: Well, I, again, um, you know, you forget that, um, you know, look at these, they're important, but I think you're onto something. They might not be overly important. Let's not forget, you know, uh, Ronald Reagan was, you know, mocked and killed in his first presidential debate. Um, and then he came back, you know, stormed back and had two fantastic final debates. He also, when asked about, uh, Tom Brokaw was talking about this the other morning. When asked about his debate performance, um, Reagan said, "Well, I would have I would have looked better too had I wore as much makeup as as Walter Mondale did." And, and I mean, that's a very Trump-like comment, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what we're used to. I mean, and so, what what is he? Impl- can you imagine? You know, um, back in the you know the '80s when when that was going, what's Reagan implying that he's wearing makeup? He's like a woman. I'm, what is it? And so, it's a very Trump-like thing. And and we've seen other. Um, you know other debates where I think you know John Kerry won the first debate against George W Bush and and all of that I think you can really you don't want to be um you know the Al Gore lockbox overly programmed you know robot up there um and I don't think there's anyone fearing that of Trump these days it is something you have to worry about for Clinton though Um, and again, I raised this issue on your show a month ago, you know, these are stressful times for these candidates. Mm -hmm. And you know that when you have health issues or anything else, they can, they will, they will spring up in the most stressful times of your life or your day. And so does Hillary have any sort of health incident in the middle of these debates? And if so, what does that do?
0: Well, I mean, we can just think back to something as seemingly benign as the uh, back problem that Rick Perry was still working with during the debates. And a guy who was one of the national darlings at the time, it killed his performance and, and killed his chances. So when you have somebody who's trying to recover from the party line and still pneumonia, uh, you know, what, what What are you looking at with Hillary? Does she have a spell? You're right. It, it's it's hot under those lights. There's a lot of stress in that situation you know what? What happens at that point? I, I think maybe this is too flippant of me, but I think that this debate is going to get huge, casual viewing numbers on Monday night for its what I call the NASCAR accident potential.
2: Yep, it'll be the most watched presidential debate in history. I mean, I think we're looking at fifty to seventy-five million people. I mean, it, it will it, it will pull better than Monday Night Football, no doubt in the ratings war. No doubt in my mind. It'll be
0: huge. Now you've got a bunch of TV execs pulling their hair out because I can't take a commercial break during that. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to have to live with that. Uh you've lived with the shame all week long of what happened in Kinnick Stadium and and you were really before the season worried about this weekend against Rutgers. <laughs> I was a two touchdown favorite at 11 a.m. tomorrow against Rutgers obviously you have to think they, they've got something to be fighting mad about right Craig yeah. they just come Look, out and I, blow I think out?
2: I yeah I think Iowa bounces back here but I mean this is the classic I call it old Kirk you know mm-hmm. old Kirk lose a game that you shouldn't lose and uh, it, the, the the troubling thing was just kind of how bad the loss was I mean it was it was uh, the play calling was awful CJ Bethard was you know, kind of got rocked a little bit, and then he only threw three passes after that, and uh, one for a touchdown. But I mean, still, it's just one of those deals that, um, you know, it's a, it's a it's a loss that you never want to see on your record because we're spoiled now as Hawkeye fans. We're, we're you know we were at the Big Ten championship game thinking, you know, heck, if we could find a way to win that Michigan State game, we're in the. Playoff. Maybe we don't have any business being there, but how cool would that be? You're right? big boys now. Big so boys. now everyone knows that, well, we're not going to be in any playoff game with a loss <laughs> to North Dakota State.
0: Greg Robinson, the Iowa Republican, with us this morning on the morning meeting. Uh, is this an, an extension luxury property that you own? You're on the west side of the state. I saw this uh, line coming out of Iowa City. There is a couple there uh, whose plans – are being held up for their home because they want to build a miniature version of Kinnick Stadium? Is that actually just your your proxy, or, or, or are you the one doing this, Greg? Uh,
2: I wish I was. Uh, you know, the the neighborhood around in University Heights uh, by the football stadium is really quaint and small and cute, and all these houses. And these people are building like this, you know, eight thousand square foot yeah. brick monstrosity that has like. Just three bedrooms and the upstairs, and it really is like a whole entertainment thing. Um, and so it's a real interesting predicament uh, for, the, for the city council and zoning people on what to do here. Um, if I was a neighbor, I'd go for it because, hey, on game day, it's crazy there anyway. It is a bar-like scene in your front yard. So I'd rather have the increased property value next to me. And you know what? That place is going to be dead quiet. Uh, you know, for, what, 50 or, or, you know, 42 weeks out of the year. Mm -hmm. So enjoy it.
0: Craig Robinson, the Iowa Republican, with us this morning on The Morning Meeting. Craig, thanks for your time. Happy viewing on Monday night. All right, thanks. Take care. We'll wrap it up next on The Morning Meeting. Giving conservatives a voice in the tri-states. I mean, this stuff moves people. It's The Morning Meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. WTAD. Just a minute left this morning on the morning meeting. This is cool. I would be surprised if more theater chains don't jump onto this. Uh, Idiocracy is being trotted out for a special screening on Tuesday, October 4th in special theaters across the country. That's right. This is there's only 33 theaters on board with this now, and I'll be surprised If a major chain doesn't pick this up, uh, Mike Judge, the director, and uh, Maya Rudolph, who co-starred in it, are they going to do a live satellite feed after it to participate with people in the theater? Idiocracy being trotted out for a special screening on Tuesday, October 4th. Uh, Surprised that that's a month ahead of the election? Uh, No. I think it's a great way to capitalize on that. That's going to do it for me this morning. Uh, Quaid continues on his worldwide whirlwind tour Monday and Tuesday next week. I've been searching for a way to replace him on Monday. And uh, yeah, Quincy Mayor Kyle Moore is going to join me for the show Monday. We'll also talk with the Gateway Pundit, Jim Hoft. It's all then as we get ready for that first debate Monday on The Morning Meeting. Morning meeting adjourned. Join us again Monday for the best talk in the tri-states. The Morning Meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD.